fucking deep. I like it. These guys are jerks. Fucking deep. Bless you, boys. Young men expressing themselves. Unbelievable. Fucking deep. Put it in deep. Myers a drive. He fired wide, and the Blues should have a break here. Yes. Thank you. It's a three on zero. Unbelievable. Shan three on zero. Can he win it? They go. Schwartz on a three on zero. Now I've seen it all. I don't believe it. Oh my. You know, get pucks deep, bring the puck deep. Put pucks in deep. He's chipping pucks, he's getting pucks deep. Just put the puck deep. Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep. Get pucks deep, pucks in deep. Puck deep, pucks deep. Keep getting pucks deep. All right, here we are, fans. Episode 45, Pucks in Deep podcast. Josh Coleman, Adam Lesko, here at the farmhouse. Ready to bring you around the boards. And we got a good special guest here this evening. Mark Vanderluck of the... Radio and TV broadcasting program, same program as former guest on the pod, Alex Hobson. So we got another uh, little leaf angle from Mark. Let's go. Looking forward to this one. What you think of that three-on-three call? Man, that's you hear Panger just laughing his ass off, right? No, I've seen it all. Like that, I I couldn't believe what I was seeing when I saw the clip of that on Twitter this morning. Just and they had all day, and it looked it looked like practice. Basically, just tic-tac-toe, throw it around until the goalie's completely hung out to dry. Well, the funny thing is, too, is, well, let's be honest, there's multiple funny things going on in that particular play, but I, one of the funniest things for me is that they almost fucked it up. It, I thought for a second they might. It, yeah. And the, one of the other crazy things about that clip is there is not a single opposition player even in the fucking picture, in the frame. Well, uh, Myers took the shot. And then crashed into someone else um, on Vancouver. Dude, I didn't I even know. see that part. Yeah. I just saw the clip of them going in. Yeah, like, well, they were, so two Canucks were deep in the zone. They fed it back to Myers, and he had a blister clap show that missed by a mile, I feel. Apologies if it was close. But he missed the net, and you can't miss the net there. You can't. We talk about it all the fucking time when well, we watch hockey. Especially in three on three, because anytime you probably got, yeah, you right. probably got at least two guys deep in that situation. And that was exactly it. Two guys were deep, and what was funny was after the the shot missed the net, whoever was in the zone deep for Vancouver, let's call him Joe. Joe starts hustling back and crashes into Myers, who just took the shot. So Jesus. he fucking trips him up, and there's like you said, there's nobody within an area code uh, of the three blues. Shen. Petrangelo, and I guess whoever, uh, Schwartz, who ended up scoring the winner. And yeah, there was a little bit of a bobble, but it was so funny. I, I wanted to try and fit the whole highlight in, but it was too long and it, there was too much background noise and stuff. But at one point, the broadcast, uh, the play-by-play guy goes, um, I've never in my life seen a 3-on-0 in NHL history. <laughs> and he goes, and there it was. And then Panger's like, you know, Panger's got a bunch of those good little one-liners. Eh? Yeah. Panger's like, and one, two, three, and whoop, give him the old nine hearts. <laughs> nine hearts. So, uh, yeah, the St. Louis broadcast crew is actually one of the best ones. Uh, I'll, often, I'll often choose what game I watch based on who's calling the game. I don't care who it is. I want to listen to the best call, like the best uh, play-by-play call and you know maybe the best color a- analyst. And that's where I really love NBC Sports, uh, Lesko, because they got some of the best guys in the business 
uh, working not only in the booth, but also between the benches. And last note on that, most of those guys are former TSN, or sorry, current, current, current TSN, TSN guys, employees. Yeah, and away they went because they lost the bid. Yeah, um, I, I got to give a quick shout out to to uh, Chris Cutverd and Ray Ferraro last night on the TSN broadcast, Leafs versus Kings. They managed to say Travis McDermott and Curtis McDermott in a sentence and not botch it. Like I almost, I almost fucked that up right now. <laughs> it is true. Um, in one of our uh, Facebook groups that I'm in, I posted one of my all-time favorite memes or, or gifs or gifs or whatever the fuck they're called. The the one of the two Spider-Mans pointing oh, yeah. at each other. <laughs> so I was like uh, McDermott versus Dermot, and then that was the gif, you know, pointing at blaming one another. Yeah, yeah. Like, I bet you they stuff. really, um, they must have practiced that a few times going into the game, knowing like at some point these guys are going to be in the ice at the same time. Um, going back to the Canucks, though, I, I, I wanted to spend some time on them today just because I, right. I think we owe the Canucks. I think the only time we probably talked to them since the inception of this podcast has been about you know how bad they are and how questionable a lot of the signings that Jimmy Benning makes. But yeah, and one that they're thing going that Jim nowhere. Benning, yeah, and there's one thing that Jim Benning's always been no, known for and good at, and that's scouting and, and apparently drafting. Because a lot of those young guys, Horvat, Besser, you know, they're not they're not young guys anymore. They're it's true. They're the best players on that team. And despite having you know some brutal contracts with some veterans and some middle of the pack veterans, um, those guys are doing okay in that. You can't you can't be all you know twenty three years old on that team. So I think the veteran experience might help them out. But you know, right now, I think as of the other day, they were temporarily at least leading the Western Conference um, and also getting some fantastic goaltending. It looks like that Markstrom's come around into a decent NHL starter. But uh, more importantly, is Thatcher Demko, who is yeah. kind of billed as the next big thing there in Vancouver. He's four and one right now, posting a nine thirty eight save percentage. So. I don't even think Markstrom would be the clear starter at this point. It's a bit of a tandem they got. Yeah, well, I have Markstrom in one of my fantasy leagues, and honestly, he was just a kicker, I felt. I, I, I don't remember where I drafted him exactly. I wish I was a little bit more prepared. I'd have that up in front of me, but I guess who cares? I have him on my team, and I remember not really expecting much, but here's what I anticipated. He's probably going to be the starter, whether they're shit or half decent. I don't know. But all of a sudden, they've come out and they've played phenomenally well. I mean, maybe not phenomenally well, but phenomenally well by the Better stand. than expected. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, through 15 games played, 9-3-3. Three, and three, You were correct. They did at one point have a share um, of the lead in the Western Conference, of course, before St. Louis went on to uh, steal that there in overtime. Um, you know, they're, they're looking real solid, man. They're plus 18 on the season, unbeaten in regulation at home. Um, and things are looking real, real strong. They're six, one and three in their last 10. So it's not like they had a crazy, crazy start, uh, and then have since subsided in their last 10. That's what they are. So, I mean, that's a great record and things are really definitely looking up for, for the Canucks. Um, as far as the cap is concerned, I wanted to try and pull them up here, but it was a little bit late to the draw. But you're right. A few a few interesting contracts that may be buy-outable or <laughs> tradable. I'm not sure. But, I mean, yeah. one of them is the... It's the uh, Erickson, it's the Beagle one, and well, Roussel, I think, is the other bad one. And also, yeah, and also Luongo is still hurting them. Right, yes. Now that, that cap capture. Yeah, that's right. And that's when a- we talked about them, dude, it was important to note that the final year of the Luongo 
Luongo uh, LTIR or whatever career, whatever it's called. It's called a payback penalty or something. Cap recapture. Yeah, recapture. No, Thank is that you. What it is? Yeah, recap okay. payback. What yeah. the fuck? You fucked us over and now we're getting you back. Yeah. Oh, you thought you dumped the contract on us, but <laughs> payback's a bitch, motherfucker. And it's spelled Luongo. Oh, Anyways, my God. The, the important point there, let's go, was that they were going to have to use some of their money, probably a lot of it, to play to pay Pedersen. Because that's him coming out of his entry level. Yes, deal. yeah, and and he's absolutely earning it right now. Uh, he's been unbelievable, and I think uh, I think his Don Decision's game score model has him ranked like right up there, basically with the the uh, Boston trio as being you know one of the best contributors to his team in the NHL right now. Um, uh, Quinn Hughes, I think, as well, is a big story over there in Vancouver. Uh, this kid's a stud coming right out. I mean, the only reason why he's on the second pair is because. Alex Edler, you know, was solidified as that first pair guy for Vancouver, but not for long. I mean, he doesn't have that many years left. I was just going to say, it feels like he's been in the show for decades. Forever, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a veteran for sure. And uh, But, I mean, Quinn Hughes, though, playing first power playing and putting up some respectable numbers. So you got to think that he's going to be right up there for the Calder race. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Uh, a nice surprise in the newly acquired uh, JT Miller as well. I know that um, when I was listening to some of the fantasy shows for NHL radio and you know podcasts uh, for fantasy and stuff, it was a real question mark about whether that was going to be something that you'd want to jump on because, you know, Miller was a good depth option when he was in Tampa. Right. But, you know, then you move him to Vancouver. Okay, he's going to be in an elevated role, but does that mean that we're going to see much? It was definitely a question mark. And, you know, for any of those poolies out there that went and snagged him up, he's triple eligible and doing a he's great job. Killing it. He's not only like slotting in anywhere on Vancouver's lineup, you know, that cliche, oh, yeah. he can slot in anywhere. He's slotting everywhere on your fantasy team too, which is amazing. Yeah, he was a good bet on a guy who maybe just was caught in a situation in Tampa Bay where he was just too low on the depth chart um, in terms of the talent that sat in front of him. But, uh, you know, he's a skilled player and, and it's nice to see him making the most of an opportunity because, yeah, you could be fit that exact same bill as JT Miller, be given that opportunity and not capitalize on it. Um, one other thing I want to point out about the Canucks though uh, they they did have the easy, one of the easiest schedules in the NHL in the first month of the season, and that's just ahead of their division rivals in Arizona and Edmonton, who are also off to good starts. Who are also off to good starts. <laughs> I so, wonder why. You know that's a bit of a thing, but I think one of the points to take away here. I'm not trying to take away from their achievements throughout the first month, but by beating the easier competition pretty handily throughout the early part of the schedule, I think they're showing that they've taken a step because they're not in that. They're not in. The, they're not easy competition anymore. So they're could, not. They're not somebody who's getting mowed over. So. So could they say we beat you because we ain't you? Yeah, basically. Like they're not. I think they've put themselves in that at least at, for the time being. Even though they are much higher in the in the conference currently, they put themselves in that that bunch that's fighting for playoff spots. No, I hear you. It makes sense because if you're going to lose games to those teams, then it only further adds proof to the fact that you are one of those teams. Correct. And they're not only winning those games, they're winning most of them, right? Or I'm not sure if you're familiar with the schedule or not, or if they've beaten all those basement teams, and you're right. That means you're not one of those basement teams anymore, and that's only a sign of good things to come, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to shift gears here now and take it over to my my tweet of the week which might have to become a re recurring thing considering Ooh. how much time i fucking burn on twitter i like that but anyway uh our old boy 
uh, Mike Danton, former NHLer, former uh, inmate of a correctional facility, former part owner with Sheldon Keefe of the Pembroke Lumber Kings Hockey Club. Kings. Um, I actually met him and shook his hand once when he was in the building back in high school, I guess it would have been. Anyway, so... It's funny that that's an important note. Yeah, if you don't know who Mike Danton is, Google him. And uh, if you ever want to really get in the story, Steve Simmons wrote a fantastic book on the whole Dave Frost saga, Mike Danton story. Anyway, so Mike Danton, uh, he's been out of jail for about 10 years now for hiring a hitman to kill his former agent. Yeah, fucked up. Read up on it if you don't know. But he tweeted out this the other day. He said, fresh out of court, cops tried to get me for talking on the celly while driving. Did I ever show them? Nice to even out the court record at one and one. Batting 500, baby. <laughs> Why? I don't understand it. It's weird because it's like, like it's a self-chirp, but it's also it a joke. But it's 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 a, just a funny tweet all around. And this guy's for considering how well known he is and how much time he spent in the media. He's like criminally underfollowed. He's just like seven thousand followers on Twitter, and yeah, he doesn't do a ton of tweeting. But I've been kind of keeping an eye on him ever since he got out of prison. And then he played. Uh, he's playing CIS hockey for a while now, uh, and then he played a bit of a bit of pro. And I think he is um, still uh, in school right now. Um, but I think as more in like a coaching management type role. I didn't actually look into what he's currently up to. It's just that caught my attention and gave me a laugh. I had to send it to you right away. Like I did, I was okay. So I was like, I read the text and I understood it. And then I kind of like had to, I clicked on it to go into like his profile so I could get like a, a good hit, maybe a, a good handle. Cause I was confused. I didn't understand what the point of the tweet was. It was just like, Hey everyone, I'm, Fresh out of court after a big win, you know, was was probably on my phone and got fucking caught for it and managed to get off. So I'm going to brag about it online. It's just it's a strange thing for, like you said, a guy that has had fucking books written about him and, you know, almost 30 for 30s and fucking CBC, whatever that show the used fifth to be estate. called. The Fifth when it, Estate. When they were at the PMC here in town. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the CBC estate. was here. That's when we knew they are following Frost around in his fucking Escalade. Yeah. 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 Strange, you know. Crazy so. story, though. Like if, like I said, if you haven't heard it or hadn't read about it, uh, you got to read up on it because it is certainly intriguing and, and spans about a decade from his time in the OHL right up to uh, – you know, towards the end of his NHL career. God damn it. Just hashing up old bad memories. Yeah. So I guess continuing on the topic of hockey player drama, did you read about Patrick, or sorry, not Patrick, Evander Kane, big money Kane, apparently was losing some big money in Vegas last year during the Eastern Conference Finals. That was the fact that blew my mind during the finals. By the way, I don't uh, blame you for saying Patrick by mistake because he's a Kane. So... There's going to be some legal problems. I guess. Yeah, I know. It seems to, it seems on trend for these Kane, Kane guys. But All right. Subtle jab there. Sorry, Patrick. Love you. Um, actually have a shirt from Patrick Kane's mother. G- gifted to me. Gifted to me by Tyler Madaraz. Uh, when I went down to be on the program there, went down and, and he was like, hey, man, here's just like a little fucking gift for coming in or whatever. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm only giving it to you because it's an extra large. He's like, it's Patrick Kane's mom. She sends shirts often like or, or little gifts to, to the show because really? she's, she's a big fan of the show. Oh, wow. So she, she sends these little bobbleheads or anytime there's like a promotional thing for, for Patrick because her son obviously is, you know, incredibly famous and gets a lot of endorsement deals and stuff. So she'll send a bunch of shit to the station. Interesting. It's really cool. I've not showed it to you. It's like a no, it's yeah, like an that. NHL 94 thing. 
But like the star is around number eighty eight. Oh, I've seen those on Chicago, online. and his hands are yeah. in the air. I've seen those yeah. online that you, uh, pretty like, cool. an Instagram ad or something. They look yeah, pretty sick, cool. Anyway, back to the back point. to Vander Kane. So Vander Kane during I the guess, playoffs. Yeah, that was the thing. So a lawsuit's been filed by the the city of Las Vegas, essentially um, in court, because he failed ba- failed to pay back five hundred grand in gambling markers that were given to him by a casino back in April. And based on the dates that they cite in the case, it puts it right in between, I believe it's games three and four of the playoff series last year between the Sharks and the Golden Knights. So fine, okay, I'm I'm saying I'm surprised that it was during the playoffs and all this stuff. Maybe I should be less surprised because he was in Vegas. But no, I'm still the same level of surprise as I was before because... Just because you're in Vegas doesn't mean you have to blow a half of a million dollars. Yeah, and and to think about it, that's just we, the amount of money we know he blew via what they loaned him. Oh, good. How point. much money do you have to spend for them to loan you an extra five hundred k, and then you walk out of there and don't pay it back? So clearly, he is probably a recurring customer there. Like somebody knows who he is, yeah. And he probably lost how many hundred thousand do you think he lost before the casino went? Yeah, we'll throw you another five hundred if you want to stick around. Well, obviously at least five. Yeah. Right? I mean it was a good deal. He lost it, right? For the casino. Yeah. Although they, they didn't pay him back he didn't pay him back. You know he's got the money, he's got big money contract, but does he have the money? Could wouldn't you pay it before they filed a lawsuit against you? Or is this a fucking Eugene Melnick situation where Fucking Eugene just thinks she doesn't have to pay it. Or even closer to home, it could be a little Austin Matthews-ish where he didn't think it would get out and be public. Yeah, you kind of. I'm not. I'm not putting the two. You got to think that. I'm just saying in terms of, of getting will. ahead of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Why would he not get ahead of it? It seemed to have. It seemed to have come out, and I wonder if the team had any knowledge. Same kind of situation like it was with Austin. Like that's that's a, all I'm saying. There's I'm a not, lot at yeah. play here, and just on the surface, it sounds like a crazy story. And. But and and not as shocking just because we've seen Kane like was he the one who posted the cell phone money pick yeah. and doing, doing push-ups, push-ups with stacks on his back like he, he's a bit of a fucking baller high roller whatever you want to call it guy and I love that I think that's fine it's it's his prerogative to be that way um, the NHL traditionally doesn't have very many heels if you will we've talked about this before there there have been a few heels uh, in the past and I think that's a good thing for the league. And, you know, you don't want to go over the line and become a bad story. But I, don't, I have no problem with the way he was kind of flaunting his cash in Vegas. Like, good for him, man. It's his fucking and, money. And you know what? He's probably, uh, uh, or sorry, Revo's probably got some good ammo for the next time they play. Because they're always, always going at it. I mean, they're fully chirping each other in the media. Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah. So you know that, that Revo's going to hit him hard. Like, you need 500 grand there, buddy? Like, uh, I loved I loved when he was suspended. That interview from Reeves, honestly, dude, was an all timer. I think I watched it three or four times just because I I enjoyed the interview so much. When he even interrupted the guy interviewing him because he knew what the question was. Yeah, he was like, "Oh, poor Evander." Well, especially because so, so tragic. He says he knows what they're going to ask, and and they're trying to stir the pot. And he's like, "I already got one for you. Like, I got lined one. up, yeah. ready to fire." I love when he said. Well, what did you think about the linesman? Maybe kind of, you know, when he, how, how he took him down. Yeah, he's weak. He's got weak. taken down by a linesman. <laughs> Maybe hit the gym. Yeah, that was a pretty good chirp. So, yeah, exactly. Now I know why you're not hitting the gym. You can't afford your membership. <laughs> membership last year was the gym a few bucks. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, yeah, that was strange. I mean, there's been a few uh, a few interesting stories come out on Twitter, obviously, like you said. Uh, I like the tweet of the week, man. 
Yeah, we'll have to keep that going forward. I think that's a good one. I've, I've actually been meaning to talk to you about like segments or something that we could do maybe to spice some it up. Some recurring bits. Yeah, some recurring bits yeah. uh, would be would be pretty fun. So, all right, man, where are we headed next? Uh, let's move on. Let's uh, talk a little bit about this ESPN survey. So anonymous survey that um, uh, a writer from ESPN did. Fuck, I just blanked on the name. Emily Kaplan. She's pretty well known, obviously. Uh, if you read much, you probably heard of her. But so she did an anonymous survey just asking about a, a wide range of uh, questions. I believe the sample size was 50 NHL players. Uh, they published a few quotes and then they give the percentages on on the answers to the questions. So if you want to walk the listeners through a couple of these and we can kind of give our feedback. Yeah, you know, first of all, um, I can't stress enough that I don't believe that 50 players is enough. Uh, in this instance, I'd like to see more. I, I know it's probably not that easy. It's probably easier said than done to get more. But don't you agree? Let's go. Fifty seems a little well, a little what, shy. Like Three hundred players in the NHL. Oh my God, no! There's like seven hundred. Is it that many? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah no yeah, conception yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. We'll get a fucking calculator out. Yeah, yeah. Do some math. <laughs> like, <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah, seven hundred. Twenty-three players a roster. All yeah, right. seven hundred players. Uh, oh, that was actually divided by 30. So anyway, point is, would you not want to see maybe uh, at least uh, hit the century mark so you can actually say 100 players chosen? I guess so. But what, 50 out of 700? That's a pretty a, yeah, a decent guess. sample size. Yeah, I guess you're right. All right, anyway, anyway moving uh, on. fuck the stats. Um, so just a couple I thought were interesting. Uh, the worst uh, visiting locker room was was funny because uh, the Washington Capitals led and it was it was all based on the showers. <laughs> the players yeah. are just annoyed with the. You remember you at Bishop? Yeah, our high school had the same fucking showers. Yeah. One pole, one pole with ten guys standing around it, <laughs> and the ones I remember the ones at fucking Bishop just blasted you like it was like a fire hose. It would cut your goddamn dick off. Yeah, <laughs> it was like getting fucking like torture, man. It was awful. Pressure washed. Yeah, pressure washed. Basically, basically. after yeah. the, after gym class, never hot. Yeah. Like. So that was pretty funny. Uh, the next one that was good too was, uh, and these are quotes directly from the players. Uh, Boston is brutal. You're right there next to the rink. It's cold. You're not comfortable. If you feel comfortable, you're going to play well. So that's probably why they do it. It's a competitive advantage. So I thought that was pretty interesting because I have heard stories in the past about like certain teams pumping like gross, smelly air from yeah, the yeah. from the locker room into the visiting room wow. or strategically placing them Just in certain a shitty location. Yeah, shitty location. I mean it's always to... an afterthought, right? I guess so, but maybe it's not. That's what they're saying. Like, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe it's not an afterthought. Maybe they're thinking, you know, let's just fuck them up and put them like yeah, put them who over cares, here. Really, we'll never, you know, none of us will ever set foot in there. Yeah, right? exactly. And yeah, Boston was uh, second with thirty four percent, and the one immediate thought I had was, well, I guess that uh, gives us uh, Leaf fans another excuse. There, uh, game sevens in Boston. There, you know, it's just. Uh, the this visiting room's just too shitty. Even though we won games one and one and five, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which are two of the maybe maybe arguably the two most maybe important, it's colder on a game seven. Two most important fucking games yeah. in a seven game series are one and five if it gets there, and uh, and you win both and you still lose that goddamn series. All right, listen, more on the Leafs coming later. Uh, don't get me started. The the next one um, before we go on to well, there's three of them that I wanted to pull away. This one was, I thought was, I thought this one was A, funny, and then also B, a little bit sad. Um, it's Edmonton. Uh, which road city, or sorry, not Edmonton, let's go, Winnipeg. Which road city do you dread the most? And an overwhelming response, uh, 42% of the vote, was for Winnipeg. And the reason why I thought it was, I think it's sad, is because 
it makes it, I feel like it's going to make it a little bit difficult for Winnipeg to be an attractive uh, spot for, for players to land, whether they're drafted there and they want to sign a long-term extension or whether they're free agents who think, are trying to be lured to the city. I think this just reaffirms it as well. I mean, we already, I think that's already known to be an issue for them, right? And it must be. I mean, despite them being a good team, you don't see, and they have not had the cap space for it, but you don't see guys flocking there either. No, but I guess kind of the reason why I bring that up is because. Winnipeg is kind of in that scenario or that 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 time period now, Lesko, where they will enter that moment where they are going to try and make the deals to free up a little bit of space and then go after this free agent in the right. offseason because they need to continue pushing to be a, a, an elite contender. Like they rose right up to the top for a moment. They were knocking right on the fucking door. Yeah. Then they got eliminated and then all of a sudden the Bufflin thing is going on and you lose Truba and, and Morrissey's gone. Like, and then all of a sudden Line A, you, that Morrissey's weird, still there. Meyer's gone. Or Myers, yep. excuse me. Thank you. Um, yeah, M- Morrissey got the extension. Um, and then Line's deal takes a really long time and he's over in Finland and we're not sure what's happening. It's just, it's all kind of come crashing down. And I don't think that this poll is going to help. I don't think it's actually going to be that impactful, but here's what I think is impactful. Let's go screw the stats. And, and these are actual quotes. So the stats can say uh, something really telling about a city that's garbage, but an actual quote from an anonymous player, maybe hits hits a little bit harder so listen to this one tough rink to play in it's just dirty you walk around the city and you feel like you need to wash your face after you go outside that's tough like winnipeg's gritty i know that it's not it's it's probably the smallest city of all nhl cities but that's that's tough. I know it's only one player, and maybe it's a maybe it's a funny player that wants to have his like maybe it's a guy like me, Lesko, who who would 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 chuckle at having um, the ability to have a quote go in there and then check it with their fucking burner account, which <laughs> yeah. was the next one. Yeah. So the next question is, uh, do you have a Twitter burner account? <laughs> yeah. Thirty two percent said yes, which I was like, I was surprised, you know, because you always kind of think, ah, these guys don't care. You got better things to worry about, but I mean, we've kind of seen that theme throughout other sports. There's been guys caught, fucked the with the one GM in, in the, the NBA uh, lost his job over his wife's burner account. Yes, and uh, Kevin Durant as well. Somebody caught him basically going online. Now, some of the guys, uh, mind you, who responded to this said, "Yeah, I, but I haven't tweeted from it. Like I'm basically just using it to be on there without being on there. Without, Check sports without people having to tag you in shit chirps and yeah. to be able to follow things and." So I can I can understand that the burner account, but we want to know who has the burner account in terms of like they're getting into it with guys. Yeah, I mean I, I bet you that number would be really little. I don't yeah. think any player would be dumb enough to actually interact because it's ba- like even though no one knows who you are, the second you start to interact, you are breaking the fourth wall. A the bit, second yeah. you react, you're breaking the fourth wall, and that doesn't mean that they can find you. But it is you doing, it's you actively engaging. So I, I would imagine that almost 100% of those guys with the burners are strictly like, if they could turn off the ability yeah. to comment, they probably They're would. They're just using it without being on there. It's, it's just better for them because they don't want to participate. They don't want to be tagged. No. The other you thing know, that's they're not inter- promoing anything. No, the other thing that's interesting too. Well, maybe the verified accounts would be for sure, but then having a burner account to actually check shit out is totally different. Or maybe you want to follow something a little bit inappropriate 
and you can't with your checkmark account. Oh, like all the porn bots and whatnot. Well, yeah, or whatever, you know, Victoria's Secret. You don't want to follow it, but you'll follow it on your Checks other one, you know? with the pasties. And- <laughs> but here's an interesting part about that too. Like um, as far as the di- demographic that was chosen, I want obviously they would have been asking some 30-year-olds and north of 30-year-olds would, would be more inclined to be like, no, nah, I don't Well, the one bother. guy said, I've never even been on Twitter. Yeah, so, you but know, imagine if you they picture kept... picture that guy, it's probably Ron Haynes or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. Like, but if they, if they kept that uh, demographic down to 18, 19, and 20, bet you that, number's that number is a lot higher. That number grows, yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure it Because if that's 23% of 50, you know... Players sample, sample ranging in age. Though, so that's, yeah. what, like a dozen-ish guys, basically. Yeah. So... That's a high percentage in the grand scheme of things, I guess. Oh, I fully believe um, it. I suppose the most one of the more interesting questions I found, and this is a good segue into our next article that I want to talk about, is uh, number six on the list was, given the league's approach to recreational drug use, does the NHL have a cocaine problem? So singling out a specific drug I thought was interesting. But anyway, so the results were yes, 10%, no, 58%, and I don't know, 30%. It's 32%. So what are the I don't knows in this situation? Are those the guys who go no comment basically on this one? Or are they like legit just I don't know because I don't hang out with the boys late at night on the road sort of thing? I think it's both. I, I think it's important to note that. I think if those are the three answers, and we have to take it as it is. So if those are the three answers, I feel like no comment is also I don't know. Right. Because... Well, how do you know? You might know some of your players do it, but you might not know if it's a problem for them. So therefore, you might not see it as a problem. Exactly. Define problem. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important to to also zone in on that number. I like the fact that over 30% of the players, whether they didn't want to comment or honestly don't know because they don't pay attention to it, I think that's a pretty solid number. And the fact that 70% out of 700 players in this league are going to say, yeah, I think it's a problem. You probably are the guy that does it and you're you're answering honestly, or you know, one player, right? One player that, you know, personally is not in a good situation and probably could use some help. And that one player is probably the player in common for fucking all 70 guys that answered yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. I'm not saying it's 10%. Because you know a handful of guys, though, who are really into it. They know that guy. So you're thinking, like, you know, and you know he's into it. It's anonymous. Yeah, because 10% said they thought it was a problem. So you got to think, like, yeah, you think it's prevalent or you're privy to knowing that, you know, just how many guys were doing it. Yeah, I'm not saying by any means does that mean that 10% of NHLers are on fucking cocaine. You, right. I'm not telling... Well, I mean... Actually, let's be honest. We joked about this before. That would, that would be low, I would think. I think that would be low, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, let, let's let's focus in on the word problem, okay? Well, not recreational and just for fun, we're zoning in on the word problem right now. And it's not clearly not a problem with 10% of that vote because I feel like I said before, I feel like everyone knows the same guy who has the fucking problem. There's, yeah. You know? So Yeah, more than likely. And, you know, I th- I'm not sure if it's, again, like a symptom of, the I don't know part of being because a lot of guys who are doing that stuff, they're probably doing it pretty low key. I mean, and if you're not socializing with those people or you're not in that crew that are involved with that, 
then you might not have any fucking idea. Or if you're Kuznetsov, then you're just sitting right in front of it in the hotel room. Snapchatted. Yeah, Snapchat, no big deal. So what I wanted this to lead to, actually, in the same day, Katie Strang at The Athletic put out a a fantastic article, um, you know, again, talking about a story that I don't think gets talked about enough, and, and it's called The Secret Everybody Knows, Drugs Like Cocaine and Molly Becoming More Popular in the NHL. Again, you know... We, like I said, we've talked about this before. Not surprising. Not surprising. You got young guys making millions of dollars who have an entire summer off and who are on fucking road trips all the time. Um, they really reference a lot about how, and, and some of the, the players they, they interviewed or league executives they interviewed, most of them anon- anonymously for this article. It's like, yeah, I would have thought it had been huge in the 80s and stuff. And um, I know, I think it was Barnaby pointed out on Twitter. He said, yeah, I, I just don't think it was that big when I played mainly in the you know mid to late 90s or in early mid 2000s. Um, but there's been kind of this idea and she backed it up with some stats from the US government basically saying that the production of cocaine in Colombia has skyrocketed since 2013, um, basically making it more available and more prevalent in the United States. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, would you, I, I don't have access to the, to the article because I'm too cheap. Um, <laughs> would you believe that that is due to a, a rise in demand? Are we correlating that to a rise in demand? It must be. I mean, if sales of your you know, dealers are out all the time, I need more, I need more, then of course they're going to have to start producing more. Yeah. Or is it just generally we want to produce this drug and get it out because it's becoming more of a street commonly used drug? Yeah, drugs are a funny thing, whereas like the supply can influence demand because you, know, you might have never tried it or come across it because the supply isn't there. It's not prevalent. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. But it's prevalent all of a sudden. You try it and then you're fucking buying it or whatever and you're like, yeah, I want it. So I see what you mean. So you produce a lot of it and perhaps that decreases the the price to acquire. There's not many people who do cocaine once. Yeah. That way. Yeah. Right. So it could could influence it. But um, so they do talk about how a little bit, how there's a bit of a concern with the NHLPA. And one of the interesting thing was a, a few years ago, the NHLPA started going from testing a third of the players to all of the players. Now they don't share any of these statistics and there's no supplemental discipline right now in the NHL for recreational drugs like cocaine, weed, whatever. So now they'll deal with stuff behind closed doors. And I believe if you're, um, if you have a certain number of, um, positive results that you will, you know, attract attention and they will encourage you to seek the right treatments or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Now, which is, it should be that way. One of the best parts of the article, and I had read about this recently, but NHL teams are actually hiring guys, not just to deal with things like partying and drugs, but largely focused probably in that area. But for instance, the flames, uh, employ Brian McGratton, former top guy and well-known, party guy in when he played in Ottawa and he's basically a um a consultant for the, for the players though and he's the guy that they're supposed to be able to trust like as a a confidant knowing that he's not going to run to management as soon as they say yeah I fucked up I you know I've been getting fucked up lately or staying yeah, yeah. up all night and you know almost missed practice the other day he's somebody they can confide in and he can help deal with their problems before they come up fucking Bigger problem. That's a great. Yeah, that's a great position within an organization. It is truly, uh, and I don't mean to make any any light of it because it's a serious issue. But dude, as you were explaining that to me, my brain was. I bet you some of the listeners are probably on my same wave. Like my brain was shifted 
as if Brian McGratton was the guy that they called to like have a rager and like. Well, I'm sure he can help you <laughs> with that too, but I think he's like ten years Cause silver now. Because you're like, but. there's a because I, I can't remember exactly the wording that you used. I can't wait to listen to it on he's the. He's helping them get away with it. Yeah, the word the wording that you used was like he's like a he's the part. You said party guy. That's what you said. Those were the words. Was part, that what I said? Yeah, you said he's like the party guy, but it was just because you were trying to get your point out. I'm not calling right. you out on talking about. I was just yeah, I was hilarious using it as like a descriptor of him, like. He yeah, was, you know, former, he controls it or right. helps helps control yeah. a problem when the players can admit to it being a problem. Yeah. They can go to him. So he's basically their their go to guy when when they're having problems and especially focused in the areas of addiction because he went through that and mental health. Um, so I think that's that's a wicked idea, and um, I believe it, they also referenced uh, Brent Myers, who um, he's fantastic. If you listen to his interview on Spit and Chicklets. Um, the LA Kings hired him in 2015 to basically do the same thing. And that was the same year that multiple players were caught on the Kings with drugs. Uh, I think that was when Stoll got in shit and Mike Richards got in shit. And I think there's one other one I'm forgetting about at this time. But uh, it's it's a really interesting move. And, you know, more teams might have these guys. We just don't know about them. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sure there are. There's people that have addictions that multiple levels just because you're an NHL player or a professional athlete or a doctor or uh, someone working minimum wage anyone yeah. can get caught into it and uh, I again I, I think it's important to stress the well stress the importance of the of that position I think that's a fantastic position especially when you're dealing with a guy like Brian McGratton who as you mentioned has gone through it himself and and let's go came out the other side came out the other side yeah. and and you know lived to play again i mean he made it back to the nhl and now he's he's working in the nhl still so really good for for him and so the article is, is great it's very comprehensive and it even goes down into um talking about uh the la angels player tyler skaggs who passed away um and he apparently had a major problem with uh, opioid addiction and painkiller addiction. And uh, it was even a bigger controversy for them because somebody from the team was fucking supplying him with the drugs and yeah, had an ad- addiction problem himself. So um, I know a lot of people aren't in, like my friend here across the table from me, are not big on paying for subscriptions. But uh, I'll tell you, this athletic article is, was one of the reasons why I subscribe for comprehensive shit like this. Well, why don't I give you two comprehensive dollars and you can copy paste it and put it in the prep? Yeah, I probably should have done that for you so we could prepare better maybe for the show. on Yeah, maybe on that occasion. I'm actually kidding. I did kidding. it for I... you that time that um, Marner's dad went off. I remember oh, I copy yeah. and pasted the whole thing because I'm like, you have to fucking read this. The, the thing is, though, I think you can still get like three free articles a month. Oh, yeah? I so think, is that enough to get you by? Well, on the phone. It's weird. I can get it on the phone. But when I clicked on the link that you have in the prep for today's show, it, it wouldn't give me the option to like check this one out. I don't cut know. Off. Or maybe it's because I, I think it's because I have a an, I do have an account on my phone. I just haven't like made, right. made the jump to make the purchase. So one last point on uh, the drug topic, I guess, of the NHL was um, uh, Kirby Dock. Is it Dock? Is that how you pronounce it? I believe it's Doc. Kirby Doc. Doc. Okay. I think Close so. Close enough. Um, he ended up drafted by Lightning. He went third overall to the Chicago Blackhawks. But he had an interview, or sorry, to the Red Wings, because Steve Eisenman's with the Red Wings now. Right. Steve Eisenman interviewed the guy. And I guess all, the first thing he asked him was, uh, I heard you smoke weed. And he was talking with us on Chicklets, right? Oh, okay. He's like, I heard you smoke weed. He's like, do you smoke weed? And he's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like... Yeah, I'd like we're talking to some other guys you play with, and apparently you're big and smoking weed. And he's just like getting real uncomfortable. He says, and then I guess at the end, Eisenman goes, "Yeah, I was just fucking with you." 
Really? So, like, was he fucking with him, or was he just, like, trying to see what he was going to say? Like, I don't know. Do you think teams really care if guys smoke dope at the uh, end of the day? No, you can't. Not today. I think you have to care more about the on-ice product. And, you know, it's one thing is, hey, are you have a drinking problem, or do you smoke weed? That is a, those are big difference between those things. Well, okay, so I kind of want to change my answer. I would because... be more concerned about a guy I knew who was boozing like crazy than if I, I was going to draft a guy first overall or in the top five. If he smoked but he, weed. But I heard yeah. he smoked weed. No, 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 I agree with you there. You know, wow, what, what are you doing at night? Well, he's not getting in trouble. He's going home playing chell and getting baked. Yeah, no, no, I agree with you there. Um, we've had this talk many times once on the podcast about the alcohol versus marijuana debate. We're not going to go into it again. But I will maybe change my answer when I said, no, they're not worried about it today. The reason why I think it might be something that they're not super happy about Lesko is because these kids are 17 when they're getting interviewed. Right. And if their answer then is, yeah, all the time, multiple times a day or at least daily, or if the team is getting good intel from other teammates or coaches or whatever that they are into it, then that means that they didn't just start recently at 17. Yeah, if it's like that well-known that you're doing it, that you you've been heard. doing it since you were yeah. 14, 15. Right. And, and you're known as a stoner. Or and your development, right? man, it's important. It True. is. It is important. Like I can, I can, I can say with full confidence now that I'm not concerned in the slightest about being a regular user at the age of 32. Neither is my fiance who's in the, in the, in the medicine industry field you know yeah. it's not an issue now but it is if you're smoking it a lot in your development you shouldn't right. be doing that and these kids are 17 when they're being interviewed they've probably been on the dope for fucking years i don't know i don't think it necessarily leads to you know someone being lazy or whatever these kids are going to the nhl they know what it takes yeah um, but you do want to be a little careful I now think. i guess my question my next question is do you would in any circumstances do you admit that in a, a draft interview Hmm. that you smoke it's or a that, tough question. That, you, that you're even like because like especially in that situation if you actually did and you're on the other end of the table and steve eiserman's asking yeah i heard you did too do you just fucking own up at that point I like would, yeah, yeah I, I do steve i don't want to fucking lie to you because you're steve fucking eiserman and yeah i want to get drafted by you but guess what i have and might still i would you know? i would be okay with and even if this is or, a, even if this is a white lie I'd be totally okay with saying I do occasionally, which means I do. I am a user, present tense. Right, and you're being realistic about it too. Like you're like and define occasionally. Honestly, if a 17-year-old hockey player told me he didn't smoke dope, fucking and maybe this point in time less common just because like these guys are health freaks and they they don't have fucking lives outside of hockey. But 10 years ago, if you ask any 17-year-old hockey player, I'd feel like at least 70% of them in the junior ranks. Yeah, 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had at least partaken at some point or yeah, another. Yeah, for sure. For right? sure. But I mean, it, the problem, I think, let's go, it lies within the lie. Why'd you lie? Yeah, so uh, what do you do? Do you throw out like a confirm, I can't confirm or deny type situation? No, what, what I said, occasionally. Yeah. Because define occasionally. Occasionally could be breakfast, could, lunch, yeah. and dinner. Could That's eating occasionally. Okay. Daily occasionally? Or weekly, occasionally. I prefer not to answer that. Yeah, I just told you occasionally, and that's you know all what? You get. Coming from the other side, like Eiserman or any GM that's doing the interview, you should know not to push. You just got a solid, truthful answer right. from your player, and that is more. That should mean more to you than if he lied and yeah. said, "No, I don't at all," and you know he does. So now he's lied. So it's something that he believes to be wrong because if he didn't believe it to be wrong, then he wouldn't have lied. So he believes it to be wrong. As it's judged by you, the GM. I don't yeah. want to tell the GM this. 
Right. So I'm going to lie. Protect myself. Yes. It's like if you're fucking. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you're, Protect yourself. It's like in a job interview and they asked you, you're probably not going to fucking admit to it. No. Like what if Eiserman said, um, you play video games. I hear you play a lot of video games. And I feel like that's an answer where you could be like, yeah, absolutely. I probably play three or four hours a night. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. Because yeah. that's not something that you think is wrong. Right. But the weed thing, you just think, oh, no, why is he asking me this question? I better fucking lie. And then th- you just lied. And now, yeah. now they're wondering why you lied to protect yourself. Or what kind of teammate are you going to be? Are you going to stand up for yourself when you need to have the onus on yourself to play better? Or are you going to fucking look for excuses? You know, yeah, it's the, little uh, things like that. The societal attitudes are changing, too. We've mentioned that before when we have been on this topic. I guess we'll move out of the darker side of the NHL now. Or no the, more drugs. Or, or the funner side, whatever whatever your funner. tastes are in life. Um, I want to go over, and, and, and you wanted to go over this as well, I believe, but uh, you know, right now with Pasternak and Dreisaitl, who, you know, is, is, Dreisaitl could be considered the best player in the NHL right now, at least right now with the way he's playing. Pasternak not too far behind him probably. Um, I might go you, the other you way. You to but revisit the 2014 draft though. Yeah, so I mean, I know that um, in the prep here, I indicate that you know Leon is is my guy as far as the draft is concerned. But you had mentioned this season. I personally would say right now we got we got Pasternak at the top, and I don't think there's an argument there. In terms of pure goal scoring, I just I the only reason why I give Leon the edge is because he plays fucking center, and he's actually in some respects overshadowing McDavid at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And that's he, a good and point. It's only even surprising. He went as high as he did in the draft because he was a German kid. Right. And you know, there's that bias for North American players in the NHL. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just Pasternak with that sheer, like, I don't know. He's just unstoppable, but you know, so is Leon. So it, it, it yeah. is a really close, uh, it's really close. I think Pasternak's getting fucking, getting no look passes at the hash marks all the time from, you know, to the best, from the best line in the HL. Yeah, Whereas, very true. You know, when dry saddles, you're not having the luxury of playing with McDavid. He's, he's, he's dragging a line typically, but yeah, it's true. Anyway, so uh, that- yeah. So dude, like it's, it was crazy, right? So, uh, 2014, we're not going to go down the list, but, um, the listeners, when you have a second or even right now, if you have time while you're listening, pull up the 2014 NHL entry draft on this Wikipedia. This is one where Ekblad went first. Yes, correct. So Ekblad goes first to the Panthers. Uh, Reinhardt goes, I'll do the top five. Cause that's what I want to talk to you about. So Ekblad goes first to the Panthers. Sam Reinhardt goes second to the Sabres. Then Leon Dreisaitl, Oilers, Sam Bennett, Flames, and then Michael Dalcole to the New York Islanders. So probably only one of those guys today is top five. Maybe Ekblad. Maybe Ekblad. I think I have him in mind. I'll have to check again, but I think I put him in mind just because of the fact that he is that echelon of D and one of these teams is going to want that D. Well, I know a guy who's... You know, he was a man when he was drafted, and yeah, he was a true. walk into the NHL and played top four minutes. So, but how do you order him then? What's your top? Uh, well, five? the most important ones I just wanted to show briefly were uh, Dylan Larkin at fifteenth overall, David Pasternak at twenty fifth overall, and then if you keep going down the list, uh, you have to go to round three, seventy ninth overall. To get Braden Point. Jesus Christ. Right? Like, isn't that crazy? That's incredible. And then you pointed out another good one um, all the way down at 112th, which is the fourth round. Victor Arvidsson to the That's National a home Predators. Run right there. And we know the Predators are great at drafting. So, like, Arvidsson is just another notch on the belt for them to be able to really score 
uh, on a fourth rounder. But yeah, man, some really interesting selections. Um, I think one of the most important ones to bring up is that Colorado for sure, for sure, is the number one team that wants to redo this draft. <laughs> when, you, when you posted this thing about this guy, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And the, <laughs> I haven't heard about it because... You know, and it was twenty third overall, so it you know it doesn't get as much attention as say a top ten bust. Oh, but it's a big but bust. This is a big bust. This is a big bust. So the twenty third overall, the Colorado Avalanche selected Connor Bleakley. Uh, he never signed with the team and was ultimately re-entered into the twenty sixteen draft, where he was drafted by St. Louis more appropriately <laughs> in the fifth round at one hundred and forty fourth overall. So obviously, Colorado is going to be one of those teams that you know wants to redo when you consider the fact that literally two picks later david pasternak went Jesus to the boston Christ. Bruins. you know so debacle there. yeah but i mean these these be, are unfair it's I unfair think that to was do pretty this sackic too and they cleaned house after that and yeah you know for the most part colorado was drafted fantastically too so i agree yeah um they've got a plethora of young guys coming up so who's your top five then if you redraft so my top five if i redraft now is uh leon then Pasta, then Point, then I sneak Ekblad in there at fourth, and then I take Dylan Larkin. All right. Did you come up with a five? No, I didn't, but because I, I largely agree with the five you came up with. Okay, I think. might flip Larkin you know, and I, I might flip Larkin and Ekblad, or and then I would probably put Arvidsson you know, at five or six. Ekblad, just because he's the only defenseman of the bunch, and he carries a little extra value for being one. I think so. But I think if you redraft today, he's most certainly not going first overall. No, right? no. Well, of course, in hindsight, is twenty twenty with injuries. But you make a good point, man. Like this guy was a man playing a boy's game. Yeah. Uh, when he was drafted in, and if he didn't have those injury troubles and the concussion issues, I think we'd be we'd be having a, a bit of a different talk here. I don't think he'd be up there with Leon and uh, and David Pasternak, but he'd probably be a close third. Yeah, I think he'd still be in that top five region. You know. Um, especially like I said, a man, like guys, what he was six, four, yeah, two twenty when he, he was, was six, four when he was 14. Yeah. For I things. mean, he was massive dude. <laughs> he was, he was built for the NHL and, you know, no maybe doubt. built more so for the old NHL, but he's still like, uh, scouts are still drawn to those guys who are, who are massive like that. And actually a really interesting tweet I read the other day. I don't think I have time to pull it up here, but Basically, with Scott Wheeler uh, releasing his um, earliest version of his draft rankings uh, for the upcoming 2020 draft, and he had pointed out that uh, for the first time, I guess, since he had been doing this, was that there was only two players who were, I think, 6'2 or taller. The rest of the guys were under that height, which is really interesting because, you know, I bet you if you go back a few years, say... 20, even pre-2014, most of the guys in the first round probably were at least six feet tall. Yeah, everyone wanted their size. And if you could get both size and skill together, you were talking yeah. about an absolute home run. Because a lot of the time, you know, it's it's less of a concern now, but I think that, that um, bias sticks where you're like, okay, there's this guy who's a little faster, a little better, but there's this guy who's 6'2 and 200 pounds. Who's going to be more likely to be able to hack it in the NHL sooner. Now, I, I don't think that holds true anymore. No. But I think that bias persists among scouts and GMs. Yeah, I think so. It's a, a little bit of that old school meets new school mentality where 
almost um, I, I, I'm only bringing this up because we just watched it recently, but the whole Moneyball thing, when you got all the older scouts, they've been, they've got over a hundred years of experience between them all, but they're all old. So right. they're all talking about these old school ways. <clears throat> now, of course, Moneyball is a totally different scenario. I know a different sport and everything, all numbers and whatnot, but kind of the same idea as far as the mentality is concerned. There needs to be, and well, maybe not needs to be, but there is currently a shift ongoing uh, and it's nearing its completion where if you're big and lugging around, you you, you better be able to fucking play. Yeah, you're, you're not, not going to invest the time in teaching. You know, they used to always say like, oh, yeah, you, you can't teach skill, but you can you can teach skating for these guys who are big with hands, but but couldn't skate that well. Yeah, it's like, we'll work on that kind of thing. Fred Gautry is probably a good example of that. And while skating has improved, in hindsight, you're probably not drafting them where you drafted them. But now it's more about... The, the skill is there. The speed is there. I can teach this guy to hold his own in the NHL level. I can teach him to take a hit, how to protect himself. Get out of the way of hits. Exactly. He's small. He's probably been doing it's it his whole life. It's probably a lot fucking easier being evasive than it is teaching some some fucking meathead to skate to skate with size 13 <laughs> feet. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. All right, let's move on. I want to bitch about the rules. Right. We got to get one go- of our we, favorite things. We got to get going. About, we got to get going though. We got to get Mark on. Okay. So here. quickly we'll bitch about the rules and the video review. Cause that's our thing. Okay. So I'm watching the Detroit and Nashville game. It's a good game. Actually, it's not a good game. Detroit's getting fucking blown out, but I had money on it. So, uh, I'm watching the game. Nashville's on the power play. The puck clearly goes out of play. And I, I hate the, I hate the fact that I just used the word clearly because it wasn't called, but so it was how clear could it have been? Well, it was Josh? very clear, man. I actually saw it from the angle that they were using. They were using the side camera angle and the camera followed the puck yeah. and actually watched it hit the mesh. And two, two players, uh, both from Detroit, obviously threw their hands in the air and kind of looked around and there was no call. The puck comes back down into play. And then this, I guess is the important part. Let's go play continues for nearly a minute. Maybe about exactly a minute, I think. And then Nashville scores on the power play. No stoppage, no nothing. Puck hits the net, comes back down onto the ice. They play around for a fucking minute. They continue to dominate, by the way, multiple chances. And the whole time I'm thinking, this is coming back. It just went out of play. And the new rule means you can challenge fucking netting plays. Right. So they score, and I'm actually pumped up about it. Because I'm like, man, this is cool. I haven't seen like a netting review yet. I'm interested to see what's going to happen here. As much as we hate reviews. They fucking go. No, it's just because it's new, right? Yeah. They go over to Blashill at, uh, at the bench and they're having a discussion with him. He doesn't, have, he doesn't even fucking seem that upset about it. The announcers are like, yeah, this has got to come back. There's no way. And then they just drop the puck and away they go. And everyone is kind of like... What just happened there? Like, why? And then they got word, right? They go, oh, we're just getting a text message here. And so apparently Detroit wasn't able to challenge the play because it did not lead, quote, directly to a goal. Hmm. So if that can be applied in that, in that context, my biggest problem is why can't that be applied to the offside review too that happened a minute ago on the zone entry? Because it's the same thing, whether it's the zone entry or a puck hitting the net, the play's dead. Or should have been dead. Yeah. Right? So why can't they apply that to the fucking offside reviews too? Here's my answer to that. I think it's actually pretty solid. I'm proud of my answer. I've got an answer for you. And you'll like it. Will I? I think you will. I think the reason why they can't and won't, opposite of Kyle Dubas, is because they want to remain true to their linesmen. So so whereas, so the offside play used to be a total linesman's discretion. Yeah. But now we've added review. 
Yeah. So they they cut down on the review by saying we need to make sure that we have this one correct when the puck is actually out of play. Mm-hmm. So so they'll go to the review to make sure because you know what I mean. The out of play rule is not a discretional call. Right. It was it's out, out of play. It's out or it's not. Yeah. yeah. But then with the offside review, or I'm, I might even fucking have this backwards. I might be talking myself into a circle here. Uh-oh. I, I, I don't know even remember where I'm at. But basically all I'm saying here now is it, it, it doesn't make any sense to me because you, you, can't, you can't define what led to the goal. So if the puck goes off the net, comes down, I pass it to you, you score. Yeah. I would define that as pretty fucking direct. Yeah. I guess when in, in, in the context of the offside review, they're like that zone entry led to the goal, so therefore the goal wouldn't have happened. Whereas the situation that we're describing here that happened against Nashville is puck hit the glass or hit the thing, went out, there was no whistle, but yet they what what would have been to stop them from winning the offensive zone draw and scoring two seconds later. Or changing or changing lines. Yeah. It, it's it's a work definitely a work in progress. They need to fucking figure it out because I think it's frustrating as shit as a fan, especially as it continues to evolve. Like you said, as they added the net the netting challenge and challenges for other other uh, potentially missed calls. Yeah, right? hand pass and yeah. high sticking. Yeah, which are also good things because you have to be able to say this play shouldn't have continued on. And why are we reviewing other plays? Like you say that I guess they led directly to the goal because the goal wouldn't have been scored if the whistle was blown, but that's the same with all of these circumstances. The goal wouldn't have been scored if the whistle was fucking blown. The other thing I have a problem with is, and we saw this happen against the Leafs the other night. Um, it was an offside entry. Kopitar was offside. He kind of got pushed offside and he was offside and the play continued on. And we took a fucking penalty. Right. And then the delayed penalty Why went out. Why can't I offside challenge that fucking penalty? Call? No, but here's what I'm getting at, dude. I, I'm okay with not being able to do that. That's a little far-fetched. But here's what I think is even more far-fetched. As soon as the referee's hand went in the air and we were taking a delayed penalty, I said out loud on my screen, score. Yeah, you better score. Score. Yeah. I hope they score. Fucking Freddy, move out of the way. Let them fucking score because the play was offside. So if you, to, if you score... Right. We're going to fucking, you know, oh, that actually, would be something else. Eh? Dude, just I'm, move to the net, but like, yeah, it's going to be offside. Yeah, it's offside. Not that the, the goalie has the view to notice that. But, but the, the problem there, dude, is I actually learned this last year. I'm, 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 I'm wrong there because we actually would still be penalized. Even though the clock resets and the goal doesn't right. count, the penalty Which still... Which makes no sense because it basically sense. didn't happen. I it doesn't know. exist. That's, That's why I hate twisting my fucking mind to pretzel over this shit. Fuck. All right, do we got time to fire off some leaf stuff before we bring on Mark? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean... What are we at? If any... Uh, we're at... Um, we're just under an hour, but the other one, I'll just, I'll just mention to the listeners to go have a look at it and see what you think. The Charlie Coyle offside. It was a... It was a, it was a weird one. It was a skate to stick simultaneously as he crosses the blue line. I and mean, for, it was the puck went off his behind foot. And I think that's why it ended up getting called back. Cause the foot that was leading was the one that made him. Yeah. I guess I see what you're saying. If he could, if he took it off his yeah, front one, it he, didn't look offside to me, but it fuck, wasn't fuck. What do I know at this point? I can't even keep up with this shit. But what's insane is it took them. The reason why I wanted to bring it up, let is because it took them over three minutes yeah, to make the it call. Was a tough one. And like, you know, they, I think it was Julian. He said a great point. If you're taking three minutes to make the decision, you're looking for it to be offside, right? You're, you're trying, no, no conspiracy you're looking at every fucking last thing. Like take a look at it. Yeah, it's not. It is or it's not. Make your decision. It was a talented play. You made your play. decision in a split second during the play. 
and now you're gonna take th- three fucking minutes to scrutinize and zoom in. Enhance, enhance, <laughs> nice. enhance. <laughs> you know, like that's print the damn thing. Yep. <laughs> I like it. A uh, couple quick notes on the Leafs. Um, Nikita Sashnikov is currently leading the KHL in scoring. 14 goals, 20 points in 25 games. Just thought I'd put that out there. Interesting. I believe we gave him up for fuck all to the Blues a few years ago in a trade. Yeah, correct. Um, another one I wanted to point out, uh, Doug Gilmore uh, dictated a, leather, a letter to Dan Robson of the, of the Athletic announcing that he's leaving the Kingston Frontenacs organization and joining the Toronto Maple Leafs as a community ambassador. So he'll be part of that crew. I think it's uh, Sittler, Clark. Yeah. Rick Vive, like the guys, Lanny. Who, uh, Cujo, the guys who go out at all the, every event, all the charity stuff. They they help organize events and fundraise. So that's sick. Pretty cool for Dougie to be back pre- as more present with the Maple Leafs organization. I mean, he's my all time favorite. Gilmore. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure some <laughs> solo <of> you, job. <laughs> some of you uh, older fans like me would remember some of those good old days. You old fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My other thing I wanted to talk about was how sometimes Twitter isn't trash, okay? So this story came out over the course of the weekend where a, uh, a young Leaf fan, this kid named Cade, uh, his dad made a post about uh, being kind of heartbroken that his son had a birthday party and no one showed up. He had a fucking Leaf shirt on. He had Marner and Tavares like, picture printed on his cake. Yeah, I saw that. And it was pretty he sweet. tagged Marner and Tavares saying like, hey, like, could you please wish him a happy birthday to kind of make it up to him? Well, not only did they wish him a happy birthday on Twitter, Austin Matthews wished him a happy birthday, Morgan Riley, Zach Hyman, the whole team, and they also are giving the kid tickets and flying him out to Toronto for a game with his family. Unbelievable. That's fucking outstanding. I love this kind of shit. It's tearjerker stuff. Um, this thing not, had a bigger reach than the hockey community as well. Um, last I checked, and this was a few days ago, 176,000 likes. Um, I think it was 50,000 at one point birthday wishes sent his kids. Wow. Um, celebrities too, Ben Stiller. Like I saw that. Yeah, just just Some, insane. Not randoms. I don't mean to call them random, but kind of random in this instance, like not hockey it related. It shows you the like, reach, right, yeah, of, of yeah. what what social media can do. The right? good of social media. Yeah, right? so I fucking love that story, and, and when stuff like that happens, it's great. Okay, dude, so listen, my birthday's in January. No one's coming to my birthday party, and I'm going to be... How sad of a picture could we take oh, of you? Oh, I can... I can. I yeah. got these big lips. This I is can, my friend Josh. I got these big lips. Nobody came to his birthday. Yeah, biggest Leaf fan ever. Yeah. You know, had a huge... Well, your mom has to get an account, too, so she can post. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. My son's that'd be, birthday. That'd be perfect. Don't say my son's 33rd birthday. Say. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Don't say 33rd. Don't say 33rd. Yeah. My mom could have a killer account, Bonnie G., <laughs> Bonnie G with all these hard takes. These hard takes. Go to church on Sunday. Oh boy. Brush your teeth twice a day. <laughs> Mom, I love you. She listens. Um I love you. Do you okay. wanna do you wanna hammer out a little bit on the last two games here? Yeah, we can. Without getting too carried away, because I know we probably could, because they were fucking weird games. Okay, the Flyers game and the Kings game were boring as shit. Um They were awful. They were like I mean, give them credit. There was good shot suppression. They didn't give up a lot. Nothing too difficult against Freddie. Um, that crazy shootout was awesome. I loved how Spezza managed to fucking tie it when 
uh, um, the Kings finally, or sorry, the Flyers finally scored. And well, I he, thought they're fucked when they yeah. scored. And then Spets comes up big with those silky mitts. I actually called him scoring. I was at a dinner party at my parents. Like we had a bunch of people over. And um, I, I was like, hey, everyone, I don't care what you think. I'm putting the shootout on. Like I, I did. I I did my, yeah, I didn't watch any of the game at all. And then it was in the shootout. I was like, I'm putting it on. And then it was great because it went on and on. And we were all kind of watching. And, and everyone in the room, like my one buddy was like, more. Trevor Moore! Oh my God! Fucking Trevor Moore! Why is he not shooting Trevor Moore? And I was like, I don't know. I think he should shoot Spezza. You know, I was like, let's fucking put Spezza out there. He's oh, got yeah. hands. Yeah, yeah. Sure enough, Spezza comes out after they scored. I was like, oh fuck! Like it's probably gonna be over unless we shoot Spezza. And then over the boards comes Spezza, and I'm like, oh, oh, he's he's definitely burying. It. He's definitely burying. It. And then he comes in and fucking buries. We're like so it was clutch. pretty sweet. He had yeah. to bury though after he took that fucking penalty. Oh, I know. I he totally redeemed himself on that play. Yeah, but um, a couple of weird games because like both of them, I, I wasn't that into. It wasn't that gauging. It wasn't that high octane Leafs hockey that maybe we become accustomed to over the past couple of years. But Mike Babcock had a really interesting take on it after the game when he said, "I loved it. It was beautiful last night." And I think that's a testament to how just how he wants the team to play. He wants fucking 2-1 wins and shit like that. I mean, the frustrating part about last night against the Kings is that they I feel they were lucky to get out of that game that way. And I think the players realized it because if you watch them after the game, there was not a fucking smile when they went to go hug Freddie and all that. They weren't fucking stoked up on that game. They weren't too happy with their effort. Now, the defensive effort might have been there. But the offense wasn't nearly what you would expect in, in a game against the lowly fucking Kings who have the you know some of the worst goals against, worst penalty kill, worst power play in the NHL. Worst. Bro, I thought for sure we were going to fucking smoke I thought it was going to be points night. I thought we were going to smoke And they them. started great. They were wheeling and dealing early. No whistles for six and a half minutes. And fuck, like O-Dog made a great call at the secondary mission. He's like, where are these guys? Where's Martin? Where's Nylander? Where's Matthews? It's like... These guys need to step up. And guess what? Matthews Nealer went off in 30 seconds and won the hockey game for them. So there's the clutchness of your big guys coming up big for you. But shit, I would like to see a little more in, in terms of a 60-minute effort. Oh, my God. It was a three-minute effort, if that. Like The thing is, is I've been a huge uh, preacher in the fact that the Leafs can change games in seconds. Like when we're down and I'm getting messages from buddies or I'm in the chat group and the guys are saying, fuck, this is over, you know, and we're only down That's by two. That's the nice thing we're about watching two. this team and this team for the past few years is I'm never feeling like they're out of it. We're not out of it. We can change the game in seconds. We can score two goals in 40 seconds. And I know that that seems to be like a really, obviously a, an out there thought, a left field thought that we can just do it. But then, but then the team just does it in back-to-back goals or quick goals or all of a sudden the momentum changes and we have all this uh, pressure, you know, it, it, it's, it's great to see, but overall, let's go. I'm still, I'm still not happy, man. Like I, I'm, they scored those back-to-back goals and both of them, my reaction was yay. I think it's because it's like, yeah, I, you should, you should. Like we are, ex- we expected them to already be up three one. So it's like, yeah, all right, finally, you know, you did it. Yeah, but fine. I, I, I wouldn't feel that way if they were owning and had thirty four shots on goal and a couple of posts. Yeah, they got and- outshot by the Kings, which was crazy too. And then I, again, I hearken back to the Babcock comments about how much he he liked it, which is weird because I don't think the players liked it. No, the players did not like it, but dude. The thing was, the defense was there. This, the breaking up, the rushes in the neutral zone, causing turnovers, blocking shots, all that 
from a defensive standpoint was there, but the, it did not translate into good offense. There was no offense. And there was a lot of dumping it in. We don't carry it. Tyson Berry is one of the, well, was one of the top PP uh, power play quarterbacks in the league. He was one of the elite defensemen in terms of jumping rushes, leading rushes. We saw Travis Dermott lead a rush. He was phenomenal last night. Okay, he that was Travis, one of their best players. That Travis Dermott, yeah, he was. That Travis Dermott rush was phenomenal. That's what we can expect out of him. Yeah. That's what we should be seeing from Barry. How much longer can they leave him on the third pair, too? I mean, I, don't I know, know it's, it's harder because he, he would have to take, say, CC's spot on the right side. But, Fucking garbage. Uh, that whole Dermot pairing was was phenomenal last night. And uh, Hall, you know, it just gets more and more comfortable. He's finishing his checks. And, you know, Dermot's a one-man breakout out there. All right, let's get Mark on. He's horny as fuck here. All right, let's get, we'll let's... get the Leafs going here. Yeah. We've kept Mark waiting long enough because we're... Uh, we didn't want to do the effort of uh, recording it earlier, I guess. And no, fucking do it live like Bill O'Reilly. Right. Fuck it. We had to do a little sound check earlier. We had him on the phone already, so he's like geared up, chomping at the bit, ready to go. Oh, he's chomping. All right. When we come back, uh, Mark Vanderlook from uh, St. Catharines. Here we go. All right. So we are back. Uh, it's time for our special guest uh, on the phone joining us now on the Pucks and D podcast is Mark Vanderluck. Um, hopefully I didn't butcher that name, uh, too much, uh, Mark, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. It's, it's been a long time coming. We tried to have you on, uh, back in around the world juniors, I think it was, but we had some timing conflicts. So I'm glad we were able to get it sorted out, man. Uh, welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. You didn't, uh, butcher the last name. It's Vanderlucht. Nice. It's, it's tough, right? Because Dutch people just love to be difficult with the last name spelling. Well, and they um, love to so, add a bunch of syllables in there too, like Vander and De, De Vander. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's really difficult, right? Like, and then with the G's, you always have to pronounce them like you you've got a throat disease. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, I'll take your word for it, uh, Mark. Why don't you uh, give a little rundown for the listeners here? Uh, I know we we mentioned uh, before. I think you're in the same program as Alex Hobson, uh, former. Uh, guest on the show and friend of the podcast. Um, why don't you give the listeners a little rundown, maybe where they can uh, follow you on Twitter, or, or I know you do a little bit of writing for the Leafs as well. Not not, not for the team, but on the team. So uh, maybe you can uh, advise the listeners where they can catch your stuff. Yeah, so I'm I'm currently enrolled at Niagara College in the broadcasting, radio, television, and film program. I'm in my second year, and I write for the editor and Leaf on the Leafs. And then so for Twitter. I am at the handle of It's Lugsy, capital L, capital I. Yeah, I like to spew my thoughts on Twitter and on Editor and Leaf. I've been a fan since 2005. I haven't really seen a good Leaf team. So it's it's really interesting to see how this team has developed around my eyes. So, <laughs> yeah, it's been uh, fun. Lesko, how old did that make you feel right there? Really old, because I was going to say, I've been a fan since <laughs> probably 92, I'm like, sorry, since I'm guys. old enough to remember hockey. But it's interesting that you say 2005, because it would be like right in the JFJ years, basically, when you hopped on board. Yeah. And that was that, the tapering off of the Sundin era. Yo, that's that's exactly it. Like, I never got to see Wendell Clark live. I never got to see Doug Gilmore live. Um, so that's one of those things where, like, I really appreciated Matt Sundin. Obviously, we know that he left for nothing, but that's besides the point. Watching those Leaf teams just drive up my hope and then just shatter them before my eyes. 
was uh, something I've gotten used to. So, like, watching 2013, watching 2018, watching 2019 against Boston was, you know what? Like, nothing really new under the sun for me. So, yeah. We could Being a Leaf fan is fun. We could almost call it the Luxy curse because you started following the team <laughs> and they just decided that's it. No more fucking playoffs. He wasn't born in 19. Well, you know what? Like, if the, if the Leafs were truly cursed... I don't believe that they would have won the lottery draft for Austin Matthews. Well, or or that's just a sick joke. Yeah. <laughs> here's a lottery well, draft that, that you'll do nothing ball. with. <laughs> What's that? I said, here's a lottery draft that you'll do nothing with. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeez. Well, because that, that final lottery ball winning Austin Matthews, that final number was number 13. Which oh. is like a full circle moment. That I did is. not know that. Because he would really yeah, be it's, the first. It's number 13, which is just like, all right. Nice joke, hockey gods. Nice one. Yeah, you got that bad luck number, but also the last number that was the last time we had a true number one, number center. one center. And a big yeah, boy. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and he definitely reminds me of him a little bit. Um, so we'll get, we'll get right into some questions here for you, Mark, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about the current lease, maybe get into a little Marley's here and, uh, you know, some of the stuff that uh, I guess is irking Leaf fans out in uh, Leaf land <laughs> these days. But we'll fire you off a, a heater right away and it's Babcock. So should he stay or should he go? Well, you know what? Uh, it's one of those things where you look at Babcock's track record. Obviously, he's a great coach, but. It's one of those things where it's all about the numbers and what Toronto has done with Mike Babcock. And we see that it's an easy comparison to just compare him to Sheldon Keefe because Keefe has got so much success with the Toronto Marlies and that seems to be his heir successor, right? Um, it's one of those things where a lot of fans are like, ah, fire Babcock, fire Babcock. No, no, no. It's, it's really not that simple. Because Mike Babcock is in the fifth season of his eight-year contract. So if, if management wants to fire him, they can't exactly fire him, right? Because they have to make sure that they know who the next head coach is going to be. And what Mike Babcock's theologies and systems are with the Toronto Maple Leafs, it's really like trying to force a square peg in a round circle. It's just not going to happen. So it's one of those things where you hope that Babcock can change. Otherwise, he's going to get fired. And that that's Basically. really that's a really interesting point, Mark, because um, I'm actually reading Behind the Bench right now by Craig Custance, and he does a whole chapter on Mike Babcock. And one of the things that Mike Babcock is, is known for and one of the things he conveys really well in the book is that Babcock is always trying to do things a little differently, a little differently against the grain than the status quo. And, you know, he's like, I like taking risks. I mean, he never would have came to the Leafs if he didn't like that. And the other good point I think you make is the, the whole um, round peg and square hole in that. And I mentioned yeah. this on our show before that I, I'm not sure that my Babcock trademark hockey is conducive to the playing style of this uh, group with the Maple Leafs. Well, yeah, exactly. Cause sometimes you just have to let the dogs run. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that could be a good example of, uh, you know, another question I wanted to fire off to you, and, and that's what's going on with Tyson Berry right now, do you think? Uh, it's one of those things where he was always the go-to power play guy on Colorado, and Toronto already has that with Morgan Riley, right? And then Colorado's run differently than Toronto, and more, uh, Tyson Berry is the technically second-pairing defenseman. I consider Jake Muzzin and Tyson Berry the first pairing. That's just me. That's, that's yeah. a bit of a hot take, but... 
I think it's just adjusting to that new system, which is kind of weird because it plays right into Tyson Berry's style. But then it's a new country as well, right? He's been living in Colorado for the past, I think, like eight years. He is from Canada. He's from BC. He grew up a Leaf fan. But it's it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, maybe it's the system. Maybe it's a new country. Maybe he's just following the weed. BC, yeah, BC like it's, born, it's, plays his hockey in Colorado where it's been legal for years and then comes to Canada <laughs> where we just <clears throat> excuse me, recently made it legal. Maybe he's following the weed, my man. Well, it's it. Well, I don't think it's actually legal in the NHL, though. If you test positive for it, I think you're suspended, right? Well, we had that talk yeah, earlier. We, we, we had a big drug that. corner again on the pod here yeah, earlier. So, yeah. So basically, it's the way it is is they test now league wide, but there's no repercussion for recreationals, basically, unless uh, I think unless it becomes a recurring theme. But uh, anyway, moving. On, I guess Coley's got another question here for you. Well, I mean, yep. I I didn't really want to just breeze past that whole fucking Babcock uh, conversation because I proclaimed yesterday to multiple people that this pod was going to be fire because I'm fucking <laughs> like I'm He's near got heat. I, I, I listen to me. I can't even fucking formulate a sentence. You've been on this for like <laughs> been for behind, a while. Been too, behind so. the microphone since I was like 16. Like, and I can't even formulate a fucking sentence on this guy right now because he has completely. <laughs> He has made me a former, a shadow of my former self watching these games. It's almost like I'm a, some fucking ghost watching Josh Coleman watch the Leafs and thinking, oh my fucking goodness, this is sad and pathetic. No jersey, no hat, and no fucks given at all when I watch a team that can barely skate by an LA team that is absolute fucking garbage in all aspects and i know that it's hockey and anything can happen and the parody within the league is fantastic but that was fucking garbage and when we rewind the tape to a game against philly we can't even beat a philly team that can't keep the fucking puck out of the net this team should score a pile of goals and we don't and i'm fucking sick of it and it's time and your thing mark that you said earlier about not having the right coach or, or not knowing if we have the right coach. How can you say that? We 100% have the right coach. He's coaching the Marlies. He's coaching the wrong fucking team. This Leaf team was built for Sheldon, and it should be Sheldon's team, and we are wasting time. And I'm actually starting to be worried about this. It used to be about wasting time for me, but now it's shifted from wasting time to impacting these players. Lesko, you brought it up earlier. It's not the system that they should be playing, and it's being ingrained upon them. And when they play a terrible game against LA and barely fucking win, Babcock takes the podium and says it was beautiful. Because that's how he wants them to play. And that's fucking bullshit. Could you imagine Bilesma telling Malkin and Crosby and Latang and that team to play garbage that way? No. They scored goals. They played hard. They dictated the pace. And I'm sick of seeing what I see every fucking night when I watch this team. I'm fucking done. Buddy, preach it. Buddy, 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 preach it. Preach it. I Honestly, I, I couldn't agree with you more because Sheldon Keeve coached the Sioux Greyhounds. And that was during the time that Dubas was there. So that's kind of like a, hmm, all right, so let's just try and guess how much time left Babcock has on the Greyhounds. Yeah, I'm guessing not a whole lot. Yeah, And that's it's just one of those things where you look at the team and how it's constructed. Yeah, sure, it needs more grit. I think I think it needs more grit. But the core of the team 
is based on skill. And looking at a team like Boston, their top line, Bergeron, Marshawn, Pasternak, they've got skill, but with grit. So maybe that's something that Mar- Marner and Matthews and Tavares and Nylander have to learn. But it's one of those things where Babcock continues to put a muzzle on those players. And you just have to let those star players do what they do best. Yeah, that's Score exactly goals, it. Create yeah. goals. 100%. 100%. Yeah. The, the muzzle thing is exactly what I've been bitching about since late 2017. The the second full season for Austin Matthews. No, I shouldn't say full season. It was he had one full season and then it, I guess the 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 new season was just a couple of months old and instead of seeing this, you know, incredibly talented 40 goal scorer in his rookie season, you know, we weren't seeing him in the right moments and that's basically where it started was geez, I wonder why Matthews isn't playing and and I'll admit that I had a bias because when Matthews joined the league and scored those 40 goals, I, I got his jersey and I was like, man, this is the fucking guy. Like much, much the same that I'm sure all of Leafs Nation did. We latched onto this guy and then he actually came, came through for us and scored the 40 and actually the 40th, was it ever a, a monumental goal into the empty net to send the Leafs to the playoffs against Pittsburgh? Like everything he did was clutch. Uh, the 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 Winter Classic overtime winner against Detroit was clutch. I mean, it's just something that was irking me, and I wouldn't necessarily go back in time and say, "Oh, I, I wanted him fired back then," because no, I didn't. It was just I remember asking those questions way back then, and now almost two full calendar years later, I think it has evolved into this problem that we see every night. Oh yeah, absolutely, and it's just one of those things where like. You look at Pittsburgh and how they were developing with Crosby and Malkin in that core. Did they stick with Dan Bilesma? Did they stick with Michel Therrien? Did they stick with Michael Sullivan? They have Michael Sullivan now, but it's one of those things where in order to make change, you have to make those tough decisions. And I'm going to pull up a team like the New England Patriots. Every single year, they make those tough decisions that make you win. Yeah. As soon as Chicago stopped making those tough decisions, they stopped winning. It's just one of those things where Toronto has to continue to make those tough decisions in order to win. Yeah, and it's a business, right? And and Bobcock yeah. even is known for saying this. He's like, if somebody's not contributing to your winning or your winning culture, then it's time to it's time to step them loose, right? Like it's 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 yeah. it's cutthroat, really, of what it comes down to. Um, speaking of cuts, I guess we're going to get into. Uh, you know, Zach Hyman is going to be coming off the IR very soon for the Maple Leafs and finally give the, us that full complement of players we've been waiting for. Um, who do you think we're looking at in terms of cuts? Because I believe there's three players that are going to be on the chopping block. Well, looking at what Toronto's cap space is, they currently have over $200,000 in cap space, and that's not a whole lot. And when you're bringing in $2 million onto the books off of the IR, you have to move out some players. So naturally, I think that Nick Shore should be waived. He's making 700,000 league men, and he's got one point in 12 games. Yeah, that's for, for a team that's going for the Stanley Cup, that is simply not enough. And then Martin Marincin has zero points in however many games he's played. All he's making league men as well. <laughs> it, it just doesn't make any sense. Martin Marincin should never have been a Leaf Four years ago, that experiment should never have even started. Sure, he's six four or 
whatever, but he's he plays like he's five four on the ice. Yeah, what the true. heck is that? He's getting bodied <laughs> by Kim Atkinson. <laughs> like, are you that's a complete joke. The guy is the softest six four player I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, but that's good for your, that's good for your pool, isn't it, Mark? That nice Cam Atkinson hit. Oh my goodness. Well, I don't even have Atkinson on my team. Well, you better go I had get him. him. Last year. <laughs> it's just it's it's embarrassing when you're six four and you're getting bodied by someone who's five foot seven. Uh, it's just it's 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 inexcusable. Okay. I don't understand. And that's one more thing I'm going to point out for the team though is like the Toronto Maple Leafs physically aren't small. They aren't. Their average height in the NHL at worst, but those players are naturally not physical, but you want your players wanting to run through a wall for your coach. And these guys simply don't like they, they just don't. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I've like, said that in the past before it's uh, I mean, I'm biased again because I, I did have five amazing seasons of, you know, not only watching the Lumber Kings play under under Sheldon's coaching, but also being in the booth and, and calling the play-by-play. So I was very involved with the team and watching how they played and watching how they would make these adjustments. And on one of the power plays, Sheldon would throw five fucking forwards out there and they'd score a big goal, you know, with like uh, 45 seconds left in the period. He'd say, well, fuck, there's only 45 seconds left. Guys, get out there. What's the worst that could happen? Everyone can skate backwards, can't you? You know, so out they go and they'd fucking play this five man forward unit on the power play. And I'd be thinking, what is going on here? And it would work. And I'd be thinking, man, this guy is a real forward thinker. And not only that, the other big thing is the fact that he motivates his players and you can, you can see it. Like I know it's at a junior level, but it's still the game of hockey. I can even attest to it because when, when I played years ago, I had a phenomenal coach and our team that wasn't supposed to do anything, won a bunch of games and some tournaments. And then the next year we had a shitty coach and it was the worst fucking year we had. And it really does matter. And I think at some point the, the shoe has to fall here because we, I know we haven't played with a full team. I know the record or the the schedule has been tough, but I mean, if you if people out there are telling me that getting Zach Hyman back is going to change the entire complexity of the fucking team and how hard they forecheck on the puck and how creative they are, I I, I don't think that that's true. Yeah, and be honest, like it's not going to happen anytime soon. If it is going to happen or it's destined to happen, as a lot of us are starting to think. It's not going to happen anytime soon. And Mark, I liked how you pointed out Dan Balsma is a good example. Um, the transition from Michel Therrien over to Dan Balsma. I mean, it was late in the season when the Penguins made that decision to bring in Balsma, who only had 58 games of AHL experience under his belt, jumps on board with the Pittsburgh Penguins, takes him from being, well, I think, four or five points out of the playoffs to win the goddamn Stanley Cup against the Red Wings. Sheldon! Yeah, exactly. And that's one of those things where sometimes... It's not about the track record of what you've done. It's just about that different voice of hearing at the bench. Yeah, that's... it's 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 pretty simple, right? Like sometimes the voice behind the bench, you just start to tune out, and you just like ah, forget this. I'm not playing for you, buddy. Right? Like it's it's just one of those things. It's a it. Yeah, sure, it's a motivational thing as well. Like and and you look at Zach Hyman coming in, and you don't think it's going to change the outlook of the team, but it's one of those balance issues. Where if you have like someone like Trevor Moore, who's a great player, or Ilya Mikhaev, those players aren't Zach Hyman. Zach Hyman's a pit bull. He's a, a one-man wrecking crew in the corners. He's heavy, right? He's heavy on the puck. And it's one of those things where 
if you have that presence on the forecheck, it just makes your job a little more easier, right? And it just brings that whole balance to the rest of the lineup, right? And if if let's let's say um, Freddie Anderson gets injured, you have Michael Hutchison, and then poof, there goes the playoff chances, right? It's just one of those things where it's just balance related. Yeah, and you got to hope when Hyman gets back in the lineup as well, um, you know, some of that um, heavy play, as you mentioned, uh, rubs off on the rest of the team. You know, I know it can motivate the boys and have a strong influence out there. Um, You know, going back to Keith and the Marlies, I guess we'll fire a couple questions in that direction. Um, You know, I I hear you watch a little bit of Marlies. Like, who who are the guys you've been impressed with so far? Well, a, a, a few of those guys, I, I'd say, are Igor Korshkov. He's obviously a personal favorite of mine. I really like t- Timothy Liljegren. I think a lot of people have written Liljegren off just because he was put in a defensive role last season. And it's one of those things where just because he's not putting up as many points as you think he should doesn't mean he's a bad defenseman. Sheldon Keefe obviously wanted to develop the whole side of his game by putting him in a defensive assignment. And then a guy like Rasmus Sandin, unfortunately, he plays on the left side of the puck, but he's one of those defensemen that will be able to eat up valuable minutes. He's like an Anton Strawman. And then uh, an- another guy that I like is uh, Pierre Engvall. He's six foot five, but he he's really fast. He's got a really long stride. He's skilled. And then he plays left wing and center, two positions of high need for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And probably a guy they can get on the cheap as well if they need a, a quick call-up. And I know in reading a, a pretty good article about Korshkov last week, um, I was reading that they brought in Nick Antropov, actually, former Leaf great. Uh, Tricky Nicky. Yeah, they brought him in as a uh, player development consultant. Now he worked with the Maple Leafs in camp and now is working with the Marlies and is essentially serving as Korshkov's translator because Korshkov apparently doesn't understand a fucking word Sheldon says in the <laughs> uh, in the practices and the, on the whiteboard and all that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, now, say they do run into uh, injury trouble and, uh, you know, keep maybe keeping in mind the cap repercussions, but who do you think might be first to come up there from the uh, Marley's forward group? Well, I, I, would, I would definitely say that a guy like Igor Korshkov or Adam Brooks – Adam Brooks plays center. He's in the top six of the Marlies. Igor Korshkov is is in the top six as well. He plays left wing and right wing. He's versatile. And plus, he plays on the special teams as well. He's on the power play. He's on the penalty kill. Um, another player I think the, the Toronto management will look at is Pierre Engvall. He's big. He's physical. And then uh, one more under-the-radar guy because he hasn't played yet this season, I think, is Mason Marchment. He is an asshole to play against he's the definition of an asshole and he would be a perfect addition for the toronto maple leafs he's six foot four he's 220 pounds he fights he can score he hits like a bulldozer i think i think he would really be a good addition for the toronto maple leafs but babcock has this weird affinity for players who need to be able to be on the penalty kill and who need to be on the defensive side of the puck all the time but sometimes you just have to let your players just play to their strengths and play to their advantages because the the NHL is all about skill now. You can't be systematically coaching anymore. You have to let your superstars play, and you need to be able to afford them the resources and the depth to be successful, right? You have to surround them with good players. And if you're putting Nick Shore out on the ice, 
I, I, I just don't see the success of that. You need to be able to develop your players and let them play with good players. Nick Shore just doesn't make any sense. So calling up an Adam Brooks or a Pierre Engvall would be, I think, a lot more beneficial. Maybe a bit of a sideways move, but even a guy like Jeremy Bracco too, uh, Mark. I mean, I feel yeah. like he might be a little wasted though uh, down in the bottom six because while he might not be the upper echelon of your top six rank, he's his skill set screams top six because he needs to be able to dish. He's a real disher of the puck, right? So he's got to be able to dish to some uh, to some top level scorers. So he might be wasted in that bottom six role. But uh, you know, what do you think about a guy like Jeremy Bracco too? Well, that that's the unfortunate part about Jeremy Bracco though is since he's so skilled, he's got that top six skill, but he doesn't really have much of a defensive side to the game. He had some really protected minutes last season. And as a result, he got 79 points in 75 games. And as a 21-year-old, that's that's really nothing to scoff at. That's that's a big achievement for a player like him. But it's just one of those things where he plays right wing, right? So he's playing behind Marner, Nylander, and Kapanen. And the only spot he's got is on the fourth line. And that's just not good enough for a player like Jeremy Bracco. So I think he would be better used as a trade chip. Yeah, he sounds like, I was just about to say, he sounds like he's getting into trade bait territory. Being, I've thought that for yeah, a while, yeah, too. Being yeah, being that sunk on the depth chart. And uh, you would think it's only a matter of time until they uh, you know, make some trades for some assets uh, and get the most uh, they can out of a guy like that. Um, moving along to the Leafs' defense, and uh, I know I asked you already about Tyson Berry, but uh, another new Maple Leaf defenseman I wanted to pick your brain about um, what do you think about Cody Cece so far, a very controversial figure in Leafland, and what should they do with him moving forward? Well, looking at what his underlying numbers are, he's a very um, polarizing player, I should say. He's currently being played in less than 50% of the offensive zone. So it's one of those things where you look at his Corsi 4 and it's above 50, which is like, okay, yeah, that looks good. But then when you watch him play, it's like, okay, so these numbers are not lining up with the eye test. So what's going on here with Cody Cece? Well, then that's the result of him playing with a good team. Toronto, we all know, is a good team. They're a good team. Let's let's say it out loud. Toronto is a good team. Feels good, doesn't it? Yep, Toronto's a good team. I'll take so your word for it. So then when you look it. at what Cody Cece is doing, it's like, okay, he's not a fit with Toronto. Luckily... He's here for the season. If management wants to keep him here for the season, he's making $4.5 million for some reason. Ottawa really got taken for a ride on those contract negotiations. He's he's a body for the management, right? Like he, It's hard finding right-handed defensemen. Cody Cece's a right-handed defenseman. Is he good? No. So it's <laughs> one of those things where Toronto, I think, is just waiting on Timothy Liljegren developing because he's the right-handed defenseman Toronto needs. Puck-moving defenseman, minute-munching defenseman. Cody Cece can take up minutes. It's it's so hard trying to figure out what Cody Cece could be good at. He had a really good start to the season, I thought. When you don't notice a defenseman, that can only mean one of two things. Sometimes when you notice them, it's a bad thing or it's a good thing. When you don't notice them... That's a good thing I would say. Sometimes you just notice Cody Cece in the wrong way too many times. 
I mean, I think you see a lot of lack of confidence in his game, and that might be a lot of carryover from a few dismal years over in Ottawa and, and really being miscast. Um, but I, I agree with you in that there, there has been some bright spots. You can see the skill set on the guy. He can pass the puck. Sometimes the yeah. decision-making is not 100%. His skating is strong. He can eat minutes, like you said, but does not seem to be thriving necessarily in the role and could be better suited further down the lineup. Um, I know yeah, absolutely. He's got he's got the toolbox for it, but he's just or no, he's got the tools for it, but he has no toolbox. I think he's a result too of of being miscast. Um, yeah, too you know, long for too long. It was, uh, you know, Cody Cece was a highly touted offensive defender, um, and if I feel like if he gets thrust into any situation that is not partners for Eric Carlson. I think we have a totally different Cody CC years years down the road, but he got thrust into a situation where he had to be a stay-at-home guy, literally change his entire process of playing, like the way he views yep. the ice, the way he reacts to plays, and his the way his mind works was completely derailed in order to be the guy that is there for Eric Carlson, and I think it was a I think we're seeing the result of a guy that really has no place. Uh, which is really unfortunate because I think if maybe a guy like uh, Cody Cece was drafted to another organization and was able to work his way up through the ranks in his capacity, much the same as a, a guy like a, like a Tory Krug or a Jake Gardner, guys that have had success at the NHL level being offensive defenders, um, I just think he was a little bit behind the eight ball from the get-go. And I agree, Mark. I thought he had a pretty strong start to the season as well. Yeah, and it's one of those things where as you start to clamp down the system and you start to lose some of that offensive panache that Toronto's so good at, like the game starts to tighten up a little bit more. You start to figure out what your partner does as a habit. And Morgan Riley is so used to having a defensive stay-at-home partner that he's absolutely lost on what Cody Cece's doing because we see that Cody Cece can skate and move the puck and hammer the puck. Like, he's a big, strong, physical presence on the ice. It's just his brain for hockey is not a good one for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then when you give Morgan Riley Cody Ceci for 24 minutes a night against top-level competition, it's not going to go well. Yeah, that's a fair point, absolutely. And it's funny that we say he was miscast in Ottawa and then the Leafs bring him in and pop him on the top pair. And I think a lot of people saw that as a red flag early on, but maybe as a temporary solution in the in the early days until they can kind of figure out something better. Uh, and I wonder if maybe the emergence of a guy like Justin Hole um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not saying he's a top pair defenseman, but he, he's definitely got to work his way into the conversation as a potential top four option, at least for the Leafs in this time. Yeah, and, and that's one of those things where management has to figure out that balance of rosters, right? Because they have one too many top nine forwards, and it's one of those things where they need to figure out who can play on that top right-hand spot. And Cody Ceci absolutely is not that guy. I think we can all agree on that one. Uh, Justin Hall uh, can probably fill in, but he's not a staple there either. Tyson Berry has played top pairing minutes in Colorado, but with protected minutes because he's been consistently played at 60% in the offensive zone in Colorado. And for a defenseman, that's concerning. You want your defenseman to be as close to 50 as possible. And if they are consistently stuck at 60, it's one of those red flags where it's like, 
yeah, okay, you can't really defend, so why should we put you on the top pair? So it's, yeah, Toronto Toronto has a, a little bit of a balancing act to go through right now. So what do you think the future looks like, Mark? Um, not to dive down and break it down into every little fucking detail, but how do you, like, what do you think the future is going to look like if you had to put a, put a spin on it as far as what our defensive core might look like next year? Are we relying more, like you said, on the development of T- uh, Timmy Lilligren, or are we looking at uh, hopefully re-signing one or both of Muzzin and Barry? Or um, what, what are your thoughts? Well, that's the thing is you see that Jake Muzzin's a UFA, Tyson Barry's a UFA, Travis Dermott's an RFA, Martin Marincin's a UFA, finally. <laughs> Justin Hall is a UFA next season. So it's one of those things where you have to figure out what Toronto wants to do in terms of directional needs because Tyson Berry's a right-handed defenseman. Those do not grow on trees. And then Jake Muzzin is a left-handed defenseman, arguably has been probably the best defenseman of the Leafs season. I know that's a yes. hot take, but no, I'm it's not hot. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think I think it's worth it to say that he's been the Leafs' best defenseman, most consistent defenseman because there it he is. knows yes. the with Toronto. He knows the system now. He knows what his strengths are. And it's one of those things where Toronto has to figure out if it's worth it to try and keep both. Because if they want to keep both, they're gonna have to ship out Kapanen and maybe even Janssen because they're combined at seven mil cap hits. Mm-hmm. That's or at six million. Sorry, they're they're at six point six million. So it's one of those things where Tyson Berry will probably want six million, and then Jake Muzzin will probably want around five to six million as well. And it's it's going to be tough. I think personally, Tyson Berry should be kept on the Leafs. I want Jake Muzzin. He is a want. He's kind of a need as well. But Tyson Berry is a right-handed defenseman, and those are a need for Toronto. So, And it's one of those things where they're going to have to bank on Timothy Lilligren's development. Currently this season, Lilligren has eight points in ten games, so it looks like he is taking another step in development. But it's, it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. Well, I can't wait to see uh, Timmy Lilligren come into the NHL after being developed by Sheldon and then have to play under Babcock and be the worst fucking defenseman <laughs> we've ever seen. Oh, man. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, whenever, whenever Babcock uh, is eventually gone, if it, whenever it does, if and when it does happen. Oh, well, every coach well, gets not, fired. Coleman's going to have no material left. Fuck you. I'm just going to be dancing on the fucking streets. <laughs> oh, man. It's interesting to see what toronto will do in that cap crunch next season yeah especially with like you said mentioned the bulk of the decor in fact like 90 percent of it is unsigned uh going into next year i think we can all count on dermot coming back but i would absolutely love to see at least one of muzzin or barry coming back i'm only privy yeah. to muzzin um taking away the left shot right shot needs category Muzzin is definitely a want because he has that intimidating sandpaper effort that the Leafs don't really have, that they're totally lacking. And, and like you even mentioned earlier, would love to see a little more grit um, because you can only ask so much of your players to play heavier and be harder to play against. Um, but it also takes a couple of those guys who, uh, you know, I'm not saying it's got to be a choice between skill or, or grit, but I'd love to see a guy with a little bit of both out there. And that's why I appreciate guys like, Trevor Moore, like guys like um, Zach Hyman, even though he can't fucking finish. Yeah, and that's one of those things where I think another guy uh, to keep an eye on that Toronto might target is David Savard. 
He is a right shot defenseman from Columbus. He's currently got a four point mil cap hit as well. And he plays the same way as Jake Muslin. Maybe not as as offensive, but he's certainly just as physical as Jake Muzzin. And it's one of those things where Toronto really needs to have that balance of grit and skill in order to be successful in the playoffs. I personally think Sandine and Lilligren will be up with the Leafs at some point next year. I hope full-time. I think full-time. Um, probably by the deadline this year, maybe one, if not both, will be up with the Leafs. I guarantee that at least one of them will be called up. Well, well nice. That's pretty exciting. I guess insider. I like yeah. that. <laughs> You're now our Pucks no, and Deep I'll, insider, I'll Mark. I'll call that right now. I'll, I'll call that right now. Sandine or Lilligren will be called up by the deadline. All right, and listen, if that happens, I will do my best to make sure that you get your blue check mark. All right, buddy? <laughs> Listen, man. Uh, listen, uh, we'll we'll wrap it up here. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Did Did you have anything else that you wanted to get off your chest? I'm just throwing it out there. Did you have any other tidbits that you wanted to get off uh, while on while on the record? Well, I, I I did. I did. I'll keep it quick, okay? But uh, Keith's winning percentage with the Marlies is 0.642. Babcock's winning percentage with the Leafs is 0.498. Oof. I'll let you guys sit with that one. Jeez. Yeah, but I mean. And I, I, I hate I hate myself if I'm putting you on the spot here, Mark. But do we happen to know at all what that would be if you eliminated the tank season? Oh, it's point five four four. Listen, look at this Stat guy, guy Mark. <laughs> look at him go. Eh? Well, sorry, what'd you say? I didn't expect you to know that. What was it? Point five four four. Yes. So that's not good enough. It's not. No. No. Because if you said that stat, the first one, which was what five oh nine. No, it's it's uh, point. Four nine eight. Oh wow! So under five. Yeah. So it's it, and yes. it's very that uh, not including the tankier stat is also very mediocre. Much like you would describe their play so far this year, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Well, so it's it's one of those things where Toronto either needs to make Mike Babcock change or just make a change. Yeah. So, well, I know what I, everyone knows. What I'm holding out for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, listen, Mark. Uh, great ending tidbit but i'm glad i threw it to you there instead of just hanging up yeah. on you good stuff <laughs> man listen thanks for joining us and uh i know like i said off the top of our interview here we we tried to connect for the world juniors i know you're a big world juniors guy um yep. maybe you want to pencil us into your schedule for our uh, world junior preview episode yo i'll make it happen okay yeah, for sure okay right on my man well i've got your number yep. So uh, yep. we'll keep in touch for sure. And uh, once again, thanks for joining us and make sure uh, that uh, you do some great work uh, over on Editor and Leaf. I know I've uh, read a bunch of your articles, man. You do a lot of good work on there. And I know you and Thank Alex, you. I know you and Alex uh, take a, a modest penny away from that. So I'm, I'm definitely uh, <laughs> both proud and a little jealous of you boys because here we are just shelling dollars out of our pocket to scream into microphones all day long. Let's go. <laughs> and this fucking guy's got stats out his ass and he's able to make some money off. It. so good for you buddy <laughs> yeah thank you so much thank you for having me hey no problem man we'll talk soon buddy thanks a lot mark yeah see you man love it yeah see you bud all right so that was mark vanderlucht uh and geez i mean yeah what a great way to end it hey eh? let's go I, I just was like i feel like you know he, we might want to throw it to him in case he's got something else he wants to get off his chest and boom he hits us with something That's a good call. like that we should probably do that with all our guests it's like you hate to put him on the spot but like there's gotta be something that you came on 
to you say know, yeah there was something that, that was there's gotta be something burning that you, yeah. you you're like yeah i gotta find a way to work this into the show so just in case you don't because man i have that moment all the time when i go home at night after doing this or the next day i'm like fuck i wanted to say that I can't believe i didn't and say I, that, I, yeah. and i didn't even sometimes it's about a topic we even hit but didn't find yeah. somewhere to make that fucking point well it's funny though because it's terrible podcasting if i say well, let's go. Do you have anything else? And you go, nah. no, <laughs> like, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> it's a, it is, it is a bit of a risky move, I think, yeah. to uh, to throw it open ended like that. But geez, I mean, he was right on the ball. So, um, man, we've had some great guests uh, over the last few episodes. Let's go. It's uh, going really well. Um, looking forward to whoever's going to be joining us next time. I don't know what it is, but we'll line up something for sure uh, for the listeners. But geez, man, we're uh, approaching two hours. Holy here shit, we're in overtime. I know. You know, it was funny. Um, geez, who, who, what episode did was it? The episode we had Hobson on. I can't remember, but you remember? Let's go. Our longest episode for the forever was Cody Jacobs. Yeah, when we had Cody on and he broke he down, some, he Corsi. said something for everyone, and he, yeah, because we had so many questions about stats. Right, it, th- that's why he joined us. I said to my friends on you know on the Leaf group, they said, "Man, I'd love to join for your for your Leaf segment." Like these guys are absolute diehards, you know, ranging in age. What are we going to say because Mark's a young twenty year old or whatever he is that he doesn't know as much? No, that's not fair. I mean, he does just as much work, if not more, than we do. Uh, no, to, I just to love to the get team. the. I love to get the perspective too. Exactly, it's, it's awesome. I love the perspective. Yeah. So I've said to the guys, like, man, I'll. I'd love to have you guys on. You guys are big Leaf fans. You know what you're talking about. You're not like stupid or biased or anything like that. Uh, I may be a little bit biased, but you, you know what I mean? Like you can be objective. You can call the team out for what it is. And um, I know Cody had a nice angle with the analytics. I know Mark's got a great angle with, you know, not only prospects, but he also follows the Marlies pretty intently as well. And that's something that I'm guilty of. Let's go. I, I preach and bitch all the, all the time about Sheldon coming in, but I don't even really watch the Marlies games. So it's not like I'm, it's not like I'm watching the <laughs> Marlies scout games. The coaches. Yeah. Like, what do you do? What are you supposed to do here? Scout coaches. I mean, we're not in that fucking game now, are we? Yeah. But yeah, so it was definitely a good show, man. Um, anything else you want to hit before we wrap it up and send no, us off I'm for good. the show? All right. I'm so, good. Well, that was good stuff, my man. Archie is fucking losing. He's gone at that door. Mind, He's going to fucking run right through it. <laughs> I texted Kirsty earlier. He's getting thick, that boy. I, I know. He's good, man. I texted Kirsty earlier and was like, you know, if you want to come down and let Archie out, like, don't worry about the noise because he's over there losing his fucking mind. So I feel pretty bad. But uh, anyway, we'll wrap it up here. Episode 45 in the books. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the Pucks in Deep podcast. Uh, Adam Lesko, Josh Coleman. Follow us on Twitter at Lesko Adam, at Coleman42. And follow us on the podcast uh, Twitter handle, which is at PuckPod. And uh, let's go. We're making some waves, buddy. We are almost diving in to the swag thing. We've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. It's definitely coming. Keep probably, probably in the new year. That's what I think. I think Hopefully. it's going to be like a new Hopefully. year thing. Maybe we can have like a Christmas giveaway for a lucky listener if they want to shoot us a note or answer a question. That might be a good way to do it. We'll figure it out. If we start our tweet of the week and you retweet our tweet of the week, then you get a fucking prize. All right, till next week, Josh Coleman, Adam Lusco signing off here on the Pucks and D Podcast. Thanks for joining. We'll see you again next week.